FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. Today we're talking with Jessica Renee and Valerie Domino. Valerie Domino just released a new book, The Man Behind the Curtain, which is a memoir of Jessica Renee's life, a life that started in Middle Tennessee. And at an early age, Jessica's life was filled with sexual abuse by the hand of her stepfather. When did it all start? About when I was 11 years old, right after we had moved to Middle Tennessee, started around sixth grade. Tell us a little bit about what happened and what the entire book is about. The whole point of the book was just to bring light to how you can struggle going through everything. But at the end of the day, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how dark and gloomy things seem. And it was really just to bring light on that these things happen a lot and to a lot of women and men especially at a very young age. So I just wanted to shed light on the fact that people everywhere, they they almost always know somebody that this has happened to, if not more than one. And it's just meeting them with the compassion that they need to be met with. The name of the book is The Man Behind the Curtain, and it's literally a story of abuse. Jessica's former stepfather was convicted in circuit court on two counts of aggravated sexual battery, two counts of sexual battery, two counts of statutory rape by an authority figure, and six counts of incest. At the time of the crime, the culprit was in his mid-30s. In the book, some of the locations of where the crimes occurred and some of the names used were changed to fictional names or fictional places simply to protect Jessica or some of those who are close to her who helped her through the healing process and also the court process. Valerie, let's talk to you a little bit about the book and, and how your relationship began with Jessica to write the book literally about her. So Jessica and I were introduced, gosh, about seven years ago now. We were actually seeing the same counselor, Debbie, who plays an important role in Jessica's story and in the book. Debbie told me that she had a client who had a very dramatic story that they had long said would make a really powerful book but jessica is not a writer and debbie knew that i was interested in pursuing more creative writing so she asked jessica if she'd be willing to meet with me and share her story and thankfully she was willing and from my very first meeting with her i knew that this story needed to be told not only to hopefully bring more healing and closure to Jessica in her journey of what I like to call triumph over trauma, but also in helping other people, the far too many people who can relate all too well. It's a story of abuse and then a story of finding her identity in the wake of that abuse and not allowing herself to be defined by it. Realistically, I guess both of you are co-authors in this book because there's so much of Jessica that went in, obviously, to the story. The story wouldn't exist without Jessica sharing it with me. I'm the one who did the majority of the writing and, and the shaping of it to share it in book form, but it all comes from Jessica's lived experiences. Thousands upon thousands of children suffer through some type of abuse, be it sexual, be it a physical abuse where they're being hit at home. All types of abuse is suffered on a regular basis, sadly. 
Jessica, talk a little bit about what some of the things that you actually went through as a child. It was kind of just one of those things where you thought it was normal. You didn't really question it too much because of the fact that, you know, it it started at such a young age that you just become first afraid to say anything and then you just become complacent to it, I guess, in a way. It was kind of weird after the fact because I had to kind of retrain my brain that what was happening wasn't normal. And then obviously, as I've gotten older, I've realized how just messed up the whole situation was. I think you were around 15 or 16 when you first opened up and and, and started talking about what occurred to you. But was that the same time period that you went forward to police and told police what happened? It was all pretty much within the same time period. Um, I was still living with my stepdad up until the detectives had knocked on our door. So there wasn't really too much space between things happening and him being charged or investigated. I had basically confided in a close friend at the time, and he then took the steps to getting it reported with his mom. And from there, that was when the investigators had come and knocked on the door and came to start the interview process. That's a scary thing that it occurred with a stepdad. She grew up in a church community that, you know, sex was not talked about. She was made to participate in a purity ceremony with a ring given to her by her stepfather who had already for a long time then been sexually abusing her. So we we don't talk about sex. We certainly don't talk about sexual violence. And then if it is brought up, maybe that adds to people not being willing to believe it because they can't even understand it. A purity ceremony where the suspect in your case hands you that purity ring. Does it make you angry looking back at it? What does that make you feel? You know, at the time it was happening, it made me feel very gross because, you know, I felt like I was living these two lives of saying, hey, I promise to be abstinent, even though I know when I go home, what's, you know, what's going to happen. And I'll even speak to the abstinence thing. You know, as you get older, preaching abstinence to teenagers, like Val said, it's they're going to do it if they want to do it. There's not really any stopping it. Obviously, yes teaching safe sex is great but the absence thing it's damaging and as an adult even now like i don't understand a lot of things or you know tv shows whatever just because it makes you scared of sex it makes you scared to talk about it and i I think that's when you run into a lot of times the victims who haven't reported it yet because in a way it's shaming them into thinking that sex is something that should be embarrassing Sometimes the ceremonial things that are done in life, they they are done for the right reason. They're done with good intention. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's another side of it that even though we do this with good intention and we have good intentions behind teaching sex is this or that, it almost makes it harder for somebody who becomes a victim of child sexual abuse to even understand what occurred to them and to tell somebody what occurred to them. Absolutely. And there's always uh, there's always the correct way to approach it in the wrong way. I believe the way I experienced was the wrong way. It was a little over the top for me, um, but it definitely looking back on it brings me anger, knowing that as a child, I was put in these situations that were so confusing by the adults in my life.
Throughout the investigation and then on to the court process, Jessica had to continue living. Of course, at the time, she would have been only a teenager, but she had to continue living day-to-day -day life, trying to make sense out of what happened, while at the same time, trying to tell police every single detail, sometimes daily. Especially when the suspect in the case is your own step parent. There's a voice inside my head you'll never reach it. After all, throughout all of this, Jessica at the time was still a teenager, trying to live like a teenager, listen to the songs other teens are listening to, and act like things are perhaps normal. On FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. See cloudy skies here for this afternoon with temperatures steady early, then slowly falling. Then for tonight, decreasing clouds alone near 29. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 57. Hi, this is Dan Mitchell from Music World and Drummer's Den. We offer a good assortment of everything. We have new guitars, Gill, Seagull, Godin, lots of brands, vintage guitars. We have everything you need, keyboards, drums, and every instrument you can think of. We would welcome you to come in and look around, see what you can find that you have to have. And Music World and Drummer's Den is located at 2762 South Church Street, right across from Indian Hills Golf Course. Tire World's annual at-cost tire sale is back. Now through Saturday, we will be selling all tire brands with no markup. In addition, there will also be manufacturer rebates on brands such as Michelin, Cooper, and General as well. With these rebates, you're now getting tires less than cost. This is the biggest sale we have, so if you know you need tires, this is the time to do it. Call Tire World today. You will not want to miss this one-week-only tire sale. At Tire World, we keep your family rolling. Right now that time, 8.20, you're listening to WGNS, and we're broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. Take control of your account and the management of your account, and also your energy consumption with the MyMTE app. Download from the App Store to manage your account and improve your energy habits. Middle Tennessee Electric, serving to make life better since 1936. Right now that time, 8.20. Hi, this is Peter Demas. One of the things that we've done years ago is we've been able to do our orders like our pastas and many other items that we used to be able to put them in large pans and now we have a catering team that will even deliver it to your home. We can drop it off for you, set it up, or they can come in and pick it up. Look up our catering menu on www.demasrestaurants.com. This is Peter Demas at Demas's Restaurant. 1115 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Time right now, 821. Well, again, we are continuing our interview with Valerie Domino and also Jessica Renee. 
And Valerie recently wrote a book about Jessica and her true life story of sexual abuse that she suffered at a very young age. Today, she's an adult and talking about exactly what happened to her and how it impacted her life. There are so many cases that we've seen over the years where a step-parent or an uncle or some family member is involved. And that's the scary part because you're living with, I'll call him a monster. I mean, you're living with that person. Living at the scene of the crime, we say in the book that there, you know, there was no separation. There was no comfort or distance from this. Even while the investigation was going on, her stepfather, who was the main father figure in her life. I mean, you called him dad, right, Jessica? So stepfather, yes, but a very close, influential figure that she should have been able to trust, someone that she did love. Even when the investigation was going on and he was not allowed to stay in the home because Jessica was at that time living in the home with her mother and her brother, he would come visit whenever Jessica was away and she was well aware of that. So then she's coming home to signs of him having been there, the scent of him, that knowing that he was physically still very close by. There was really no reprieve there for the victim or any peace of mind while trying to sort all this out. And then for children who go through things like this, a lot of them, they almost put situations that occur, they almost put things into into boxes or to filing cabinets and file them away to block them out of their memory. And then they try the best they can to move forward. I don't know if this is true with you, Jessica, but I think a lot of people who go through some type of abuse at such an early age, 11, 12, however old they are, they don't remember all the good times in their life. They don't remember a lot of the happy times in their life because it's almost as if that whole chapter is just shut down in your mind and all that stands out are the bad parts. Are you able to remember some of the more positive times involving your mom or other family members outside of the stepdad? I actually do not remember much of my childhood other than my memories with my grandparents. And I think those were just such positive, happy memories that I held on to those as much as I could. As far as happy memories with my mom goes, not really, no. I, I'm sure we did have some, but they are definitely in a filing cabinet and locked tight. I think that's another tough aspect that people really don't understand or or think about because that means even good times you had with your friends that they may recall and may talk about, you may not remember. At least for me personally, I even experience memory issues still to this day, I think due to just the trauma of everything. It, It definitely can cause some memory issues, whether it be from your past, like in your childhood, you can also start to see, I would say, memory issues when you get older as well, even after all of it is done. And on this literally lifetime road of of healing, where you're just pushing forward every single day, there's things that will remind you of the past that triggers that thought of what occurred to you at such a young age. And I definitely agree. I know Pretty much on a daily basis, at least one thing happens and all of a sudden I, I notice my mind trailing off and starting to think about things from my childhood. And it's one of those things where I know I've had to be really conscious of, I call them triggers. And I've just kind of had to try to avoid those things as much as possible. They, for me, have gotten a little bit better. Like I can't be around certain smells. I can watch certain movies. 
it's definitely still at least a struggle for me on a daily basis, at least once, if not way more, you know, the memories pop up in my head. In your case, there was a conviction. Yes, there was. Years and years ago, the state of Tennessee and a lot of other states, they put together the sex offender registry. And I don't know if this is true with you, but I do think that kind of gave victims of sex abuse a little bit of, I don't know if freedom would be the right word, but empowerment, knowing they can check online to see where that person is today if they checked in every single month like they're supposed to under the sex offender registry rules. Does that help at all today? Yes, it does, actually, because after he was convicted, I really struggled with the thought that somebody was hiding behind the corner in my apartment or hiding outside my front door for when I leave. And it got worse once he was released. But the sex offender registry definitely has helped me. I figured out that I can actually get notifications sent to my phone when they do check in or if they happen to not check in. So it definitely gives me a little bit of peace of mind knowing that, you know, there's somebody else out there keeping an eye on him and making, trying to make sure that he doesn't do this to another person. What is day-to-day life like for you? I know you talked a little bit about it, but what is it like? Because there are people out there who've not come forward. There are people out there who have not even started that process of trying to figure out how to heal yet. It's really hard to heal from something like that. And I would just recommend, you know, always trying to speak with people, having people that aren't afraid to have those tough conversations with you because they are very awkward conversations to have, but they need to be had. And keeping a eye on your mental health, I would say, was my biggest thing that I had to learn. I struggled with depression and anxiety a lot in my early 20s. And finding the right tools and trauma therapies and the right therapist, it it really, it really does help. I would definitely recommend if anybody is struggling, especially with something like this, just utilizing any mental health tools they can and having the right support around. And anybody who, as a child, they experience some type of sexual trauma, some type of abuse similar to that, statistics show that those children are more likely to grow up and to fall into patterns of alcoholism, drug addiction, and I could go on and on. But if you get the proper help, and if you get the help as soon as you're able to tell your story, the better off you're going to be, I guess, in the long run. But we're talking about a lifetime of mind-altering changes. The more you can kind of get it out and not keep it in your head, the better. Now, a lot of people who do go through things like this, they may not start talking about it until they're 39, 40, 50 years old even. You were fortunate enough to start opening up about it when you were much younger, though. Yeah, I was lucky in a sense of being able to talk about it, whether I was kind of in a sense forced to for the trial or just being able to talk to it with therapy. But I would, I mean, I definitely recommend to everybody, if you have somebody who is willing to sit down and talk to you about this, definitely talk to somebody, whether it be your husband, your parents, grandparents, somebody, a friend, even if you've never reported it, it is something that you can't, you can't just hold in. It's, it's going to eat away at you. And I think some people may actually be surprised at how many years later you can come forward and charges can still be pressed against somebody 
for example, in my case, because I, I was abused when I was about 11, 12 years old, I didn't start talking about it till I was 39. And I was told over and over again, you know, the statute of limitations had been reached. And then it was a reporter actually in Nashville who found a loophole in the law and they said the statute has not been reached. And they told that to one of the assistant district attorneys and they moved forward with a prosecution. And at the time I was 42 years old Wow! and never thought that it could happen. But there are ways because you have to go back and date. Okay, the crime happened in such and such year. So you have to look at the law books from that year to decide if the statute of limitations had or had not been reached. Again, we've been talking with Jessica Renee and Valerie Domino. Valerie just released a new book, The Man Behind the Curtain, which is a memoir about Jessica Renee. Jessica underwent sexual abuse at the hand of her stepfather right here in Middle Tennessee. In just a minute, we'll learn more about the new book by Valerie Domino, a book that focuses on the life of Jessica Renee, who was sexually abused as a child by her own stepfather. Stay with us. There are more twists and turns in this true life story that unfolded in Middle Tennessee. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. What do you like most about Adam's Place? My apartment. I love my apartment. It's roomy and... I've got lots of books, and I've got room for everything, and my little dog likes it, so we're happy in my apartment. We're talking with Betty Kirksey. The people are nice. Everybody that works here, I have found it. They're really nice. I'm Terry Deal. Call me for more information about Adams Place, located at 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. This is David Jacobs, owner of the Happy Book Stack. We've added over 15,000 books since we've opened. We add 1,500 books every week. Kids books, popular fiction, history, science, classical literature, something for everyone in the family. The Happy Book Stack on Mark Allen Lane behind the Driver's License Testing Center. Tire World's annual at-cost tire sale is back. Now through Saturday, we will be selling all tire brands with no markup. In addition, there will also be manufacturer rebates on brands such as Michelin, Cooper, and General as well. With these rebates, you're now getting tires less than cost. This is the biggest sale we have, so if you know you need tires, this is the time to do it. Call Tire World today. You will not want to miss this one-week-only tire sale. At Tire World, we keep your family rolling. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Right now that time, 8.32 again this morning, we're talking about a book written by Valerie Domino, and the book is about Jessica Renee and her true life story of being sexually abused at a young age by her stepfather. Jessica's former stepfather was convicted in circuit court on two counts of aggravated sexual battery, two counts of sexual battery, two counts of statutory rape by an authority figure, and six counts of incest. At the time of the crime, the culprit was in his mid-30s. He was sentenced to spend eight years behind bars, followed by parole and being listed on the sex offender registry. The man, who is now around 50 years old, later filed an appeal. Jessica's stepfather, who remains on the sex offender registry, claimed in his appeal that during trial, he had ineffective assistance of counsel. Thankfully for Jessica, the appeals court didn't see it that way. The appeal was denied. 
Because the convicted subject is a registered sex offender, the details of his home address, the make and model of any vehicle he owns, and even his license plate numbers are all listed for the public to see. WGNS's Scott Walker has more on The Man Behind the Curtain, a book written by Valerie Domino, who tells the true life story of Jessica Renee. That true life story details the life-changing trauma that Jessica suffered by the hand of her own stepfather. Jessica was sexually abused by the man who was later convicted in a Tennessee courtroom. PTSD. I've read article after article comparing the PTSD that a, a child sex abuse victim goes through. It's similar to what a soldier coming back from war goes through mentally. It's not the same things that may reoccur in their minds, of course, but that level of trauma is what we're talking about. And I don't think the average person out there understands that, but that really is what level of trauma we're talking about when it comes to PTSD. Jessica, what are some of the struggles that you still have today because of what occurred to you at such a young age? You know, everybody's PTSD um, experience is different and unique to the situation that may have caused them to develop it. You know, like I've been saying, therapy is the best thing you can do. I try not to compare mental health or PTSD to somebody else's PTSD because it's just everybody has different situations that might be traumatizing for one person but isn't for the next. It's definitely a struggle dealing with PTSD. It's definitely something where I'm sure some of my friends think that I'm actually not paying attention to them whenever they're having conversations with me because I notice that I trail off and start thinking about, you know, something else. So that's why I say, you know, being aware of your triggers can really help kind of keep you more in the moment. Another thing that I think is important to mention is it's important to find the right therapist, the right counselor to talk to. And anybody who's on this road of healing, they may go through three to five different therapists or counselors. And you know what, that that's okay, because you got to find somebody who you can connect with, where you feel comfortable enough to really talk. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it takes some time finding the right therapist, but it's definitely worth the research and time to go see all these different people. Once you find somebody that you really connect with, it really is one of the most healing things I've ever done. When it comes to today as an adult, A lot of people who go through such abuse, they, for some reason, they've got this conscious about them that I don't think he likes me. I don't think she likes me. I I feel like I'm the one who's being looked at all the time, or I feel like people look at me as the one who did something wrong. Does that happen to you? It definitely, yes. Even my grandpa, who I love so much, I'm constantly like thinking, does he love me? And even with my boyfriend, sometimes even with my one-year-old, I'm like, I don't think he loves me. So it's definitely something that I've struggled with and it's kind of something I just laugh about now because I know it's all in my head, but it's definitely still a struggle and you definitely struggle with self-worth. I mean, I know I have huge confidence issues, self-worth, but you know, just being conscious and reminding yourself there's always a place for you in this life and things always get better and you're going to have ups and downs. In the long run, things do get better. Jessica Renee and also Valerie Domino about the book, The Man Behind the Curtain. Valerie, what were you going to say? I wanted to jump in to say the growth that I've seen in Jessica throughout our time working together on this book has been incredible, especially tied to those issues we were talking about of self-worth, self-confidence, trust issues in any sort of relationship. 
friendships, romantic relationships, family relationships. And I think it's really important to highlight here that a key point of Jessica's story, which is explored very heavily in our book, is that when the truth did come out about the abuse she'd been experiencing, she was not met at all with the kind of support that she should have been able to expect from her family, from her community, from her church. This book is like a lesson in what not to do if someone discloses their abuse to you. And so that played such a huge role in this lack of confidence, this lack of trust, that when Jessica did find the courage to speak up about these things that had been such a part of her day-to-day reality as a child, so like she said, not knowing maybe that it wasn't normal or it wasn't okay, finding this courage to speak about that and then only being met with further abuse, other kinds of abuse that she as the victim was shamed, people were trying to keep her quiet, people said they didn't believe her. To just add those layers of trauma to the previous trauma is beyond unfortunate, it's despicable. So that was something we wanted to share in this story too, that even if initially speaking up about your truth seems to only make things worse in the long run you can persist and prevail through that just as jessica has done because the truth will prevail and you will find that you can find people who want to help and who do believe you and can help bring justice about as happened in her case and valerie you bring up a huge point in that things are going to be tough. They're going to be tough in the beginning when you first start talking about it, when you go to police about it. Things are going to get really tough. But like you also said, they will settle down. Things will turn around. The truth will come out. It's just a road that you have to take, and it's part of the healing too. Jessica, maybe you could touch more on something we just touched on briefly earlier that yes you started speaking out about this pretty early on when you were 15 years old but it wasn't really by choice initially your friend was very helpful in reporting but suddenly you had to talk about these things with investigators in a courtroom with your attorney things that you were used to keeping quiet now had to be out in the open in order to try to bring about justice at first it was very i don't want to say traumatizing but it was It was a little traumatizing in a sense because I wasn't raised to talk about our body parts and you don't talk about it. So being forced to tell all these very personal details about my own body and things that had happened to me, especially as a teenager. I mean, I think we can all remember as teenagers, we are super embarrassed about our bodies and pretty much anything that's to do with us. So as a teenager who wasn't comfortable already talking about things, being told, hey, you have to sit in this room and tell this stranger this story again for the fifth time, or you have to sit up in the courtroom and testify for hours and hours in detail about what happened. It was definitely, it was it was very frustrating to say the least. But once you get through the court process, I, I'll never lie, the court process is trying. It will It will definitely put you through the ringer, but I will tell you it's worth it. Once you get through the court process, talking with investigators and everything else, it's healing in the end. Whenever you go through some type of drama, be it a sexual abuse, crime, or even a robbery, you're going to have people who say to you things like, you're at the wrong place at the wrong time. You're the one that initiated it. You're the one that did this. You're the one that did that. You really just have to block all of that stuff out of your head, though, don't you? Yeah, uh, it's one of those situations where you have to be true to yourself. You know what happened to you and nobody else knows. 
you really do have to just block out everything everybody is saying in order to do yourself justice. During those times, a lot of people start to question their own story. They start to question things that happened to them. But literally, you cannot do that. You know the story. You know the truth behind it, even if somebody else out there is trying to tell you otherwise. And that's what I mean when you have to be true to yourself. You know your truth. And no matter how many people are standing there telling you it didn't happen or you're lying or it's because of what you wore, whatever excuse that they have. You have to always know that it is not your fault because nobody ever should put their hands on somebody else without their permission. In life, we're taught that church is a safe place to go. The people who are at the church or in the church, they are safe to talk to. Did you find that in your case? During the investigation throughout the entire trial process, I did not feel safe or comfortable or supported whatsoever by people in my church. And these were people that my family had known for years. I had grown up with some of the girls, even went to school, was best friends with them. And I still was shown no support or compassion. For my personal experience, no, I did not feel safe with my church. I know you say from your personal experience, but you know, I I think in general, this is just another layer of things that cause confusion later in life. It's another layer of, I thought I went to the right person. I thought I talked to the right people. But then it leads you to believe, well, maybe I didn't. And then you start questioning yourself all over again. Is that tough? And did you experience that? It was definitely tough, especially for me. A lot of the unsupportive people I was experiencing were adults who were friends with my mom. As a teenager, it's very hard to stand up for yourself against a fairly large group of adults. I know for me, whenever I did walk into church, I felt like everybody was staring at me, like everybody was judging me. And it became one of those things where I started to pull back and think, maybe I shouldn't press charges. Maybe we shouldn't go through with this. Maybe it would just be easier if I said, okay, you're right. It never happened. But then my grandparents entered the picture and my grandma was able to show me that that is not what was going to happen, that what was happening was not right. And I thank God that she did every day. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Listen each weekday morning at 9 o'clock for the roundtable here on News Radio WGNS. Interesting hosts and guests with the news, views, politics, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County here on News Radio WGNS. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. CapstarBank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Another detail, I guess, that may help others out there. Some parents say to their child, 
I'm not going to go to police with this because I don't want to put you through having to tell what happened all over again and then again in court. But I would think in those cases, that's only going to do more damage in the future because there's going to be a point one day in your life where you're going to want to look back and say, this is the reason why I started drinking at this age. This is the reason why I started doing X, Y, Z at this age. And then you're going to blame the other parent who never helped you follow through with making sure the person who did this to you was convicted or at least known and brought to the police. There's a lot of parents out there who don't go to police about a child sex abuse situation because they think it's only going to cause more problems to their own child. But that's not true. You know, as a society, as a whole, we shouldn't be trying to protect I guess I call them the family rapist. We should no longer be trying to cover them up. If a child comes to you and says, my uncle or your friend, whoever touched me or did this to me, always, always believe the child. Always support them because if they are lying, it will come out very quickly. And if they aren't and you've accused them of lying, you've done way more damage. This isn't something that anybody should feel embarrassed about or feel like they need to hide until they're in their 50s or 60s and then they realize that they did more damage by hiding it and holding it. Anybody out there who holds something like this in for years and years, it is going to do more damage to them in the future. There's no way around it. The only thing you can do is to talk you have to do your part in making sure you get it out of, it's almost like getting it out of your system, out of your body, because you've got to let somebody else know this is what happened. This is when it happened. It's after that that you can start dealing with the aftermath of it. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in holding things in just makes everything worse. All that stuff is meant to be let out. It's not supposed to be stuck in your brain and constantly swirling around and making your mind go to thinking about those throughout the day. I recommend talking to people when you're ready. If you don't feel you're ready, don't force yourself. But when you do feel ready, find somebody supportive, find somebody who loves you and tell them. And nine times out of 10, that person is going to love you even more and support you way more after knowing that. And they're going to have a better understanding of your thought process and why you might have certain reactions to things. While the sexual abuse that happened to you was when you were around 11 years old, and, and I don't know how many years it lasted, but how old were you when the conviction occurred where your stepfather was before the courts? I believe I was 15 when he was originally pulled into the police station by detectives. I believe I was still 15 by the time that they had decided that they were going to place charges. Val, maybe you can reiterate that a little bit for me. So we explore this very drawn out process in detail in the book that it was four years of continual, nearly daily sexual abuse from age 11 to age 15, and then another four years of going through the court process. So it was reported when Jessica was 15. The conviction did not come down until she was 19. This may seem like a daunting thing to recommend that people put themselves through, but in the quest for justice, it took another four years of various steps in the court process to get him convicted and imprisoned. And then he was imprisoned for eight years, which in my opinion is a slap on the wrist sentence, but was at least something to confirm that these things did happen and the jury did the best they could with the evidence that there was. It was a daunting process, but ultimately led to some sort of justice. It's almost as if 
laws around sentencing, at least here in Tennessee, need to be changed a little bit because psychologists can talk all day about how the impact of child sex abuse is going to last literally for years, if not your entire life. And it does change every aspect of your life for years to come. And the person who's the victim of child sex abuse case, they may not realize what changes are going to be in store for them in the future when they're older. They may not understand the trust issues around sex abuse. But I think because of the fact that these issues do stick around for the rest of your life, something should be done at some point about the sentencing for those who hurt a child in a sexual manner. My grandma actually always had a really good saying. Um, She would always make the comment that I was handed a life sentence for something that I didn't do. And he was only handed eight years. So I would have to say that I 100% agree. I think Tennessee laws, as well as I'm sure all of the other states, need to have harsher punishments and sentences for people who are charged with sex crimes. You shouldn't have to spend your whole life healing from something only to have somebody serve a very, very short amount for something so horrible. Back in the 1980s, the law in Tennessee, the way it was written, it showed that there were only two things that did not have a statute of limitations, and it was only a short window, I think between 79 and maybe 1981 or two, somewhere around that era. But the laws were written so that the only two crimes in Tennessee that did not have a statute of limitations were rape of a child under the age of 13 and murder. But then at some point in the mid-80s, that changed, and it took out that rape of a child. Of course, it was added back again, 2021 or so, where there is no statute of limitations in the rape of a child under the age of 13, but that's only for those who were the victim of it in 2021 forward. I wish there was a way to go back and and change that, but there's no way to go back and change literally a law and open it back up, but that's a problem. This is a problem. There, I could go on and on about the many problems with our justice system that were revealed to me throughout the process of researching and writing this book. But I'll just say briefly that, well, a couple things. It, as shocking and upsetting as Jessica's story is, it is not that unusual. Not only that the abuse itself occurred, but that there was such an uphill battle for her as the victim to be heard and to be believed. It felt so often like she was the one on trial, right? Having to provide evidence, having to speak to what time of day something happened years before, and then being doubted if, say, she said it was, you know, before dance practice, but it was actually after dance practice. It's just ridiculous, and yet we question why people don't speak up sooner or speak up with more confidence, or we or we say that they're just looking for attention, or you know what is what is she looking to gain by making up this lie about this person? No one's going to take this on just for attention. It necessitates a very difficult type of attention that no one would take on. The other point I wanted to make is when you were talking about the slap on the wrist sentence a challenge in this case that my understanding is happens often with a situation like this where it is abuse by a family member in the home. It was very difficult to collect evidence when the crimes were committed by someone living in the same residence as Jessica. 
I have to give a shout out here to detectives Tommy Roberts and Wayne Lawson, who are incredible, were so integral in prosecuting Jessica's case and in the writing of the book. But they spoke very powerfully to, you know, it's not like they could hand over bed sheets or carpet fibers to prove that he was there at the same time she was. Of course he was. They lived together. So in terms of handing evidence over for a jury to uh, have enough to convict on, it can be very difficult in a case like this where it really came down to he said versus she said. Again, we've been talking with Jessica Renee and Valerie Domino. Valerie just released a new book, The Man Behind the Curtain, which is a new book about Jessica Renee. Jessica underwent sexual abuse at the hand of her stepfather right here in Middle Tennessee. I just want to say that I'm so grateful to everyone who is willing to have this kind of difficult conversation. It can be really difficult to bring this topic up even something as simple as someone asking, oh, what's your book about? I always try to come into it delicately with respect and understanding that it, this topic alone, just hearing the premise of the book may be triggering for people who can relate all too well or know someone who can relate all too well. But I think it's really important that we don't shy away from it while trying to be respectful and have mindful conversations too many people can relate to this and have lived this day to day. This was Jessica's day to day reality as a child, as a teenager. So to be made to feel as she was like she shouldn't talk about it only adds to the shame for the survivor who is not the one who should have the shame or the guilt. So I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to talk with you today, Scott, and for anyone listening and everyone who's willing to check out this book talk to us, talk to someone they know who may be struggling. It's so important that we let these people feel heard and feel believed. And just adding to what Val said, as uncomfortable as that whole conversation is, I can almost guarantee you that it's way more healing if you just get through the uncomfortable conversation and allow that person to talk however they want about what happened to them, whether it's details or just a very quick version of, you know, this happened to me when I was this age. Being that person um, to support them is very, very important. And I know for me personally, and a lot of other people that have opened up and mentioned to me that they had something similar happen to them. We have all said that, you know, people showing that they want to have an active conversation about this with us and what happened, it shows that you care. It almost, at least for me, when people don't ever talk about it and don't bring it up to me, even though I know that they support me, it makes me constantly question, like, do they believe me? Do they not really think that this happened? What are they thinking about me? As compared to like the people that I have had these conversations with, I'm way closer with them. There's no doubt in my mind that they believe me. Those awkward conversations, they have to be had. Whenever there is sexual abuse that occurs, there is going to be questions from those on the outside who, who don't understand it, who don't, maybe some who don't believe you or don't believe it was as bad as maybe you made it sound. That's going to happen. But also something else that does occur with child sex abuse is an emotional side when you're going through that abuse. I, I mean, it could be everything from when I was going through this abuse, the abuser made me feel like I was nothing or made me feel like, you know, fill in the blank. There, there's any number of things. That emotional side of the sexual abuse is almost more damaging than the sexual abuse itself, I think. Yes, I, I do have to agree. I know a lot of my, a lot of the things I struggle with now isn't so much 
physically what he did. It was the way he made me feel. That's definitely something that I know I'm going to struggle with my whole life. It's, it's really difficult sometimes. It seems like there's so much in adulthood that is going to be tied to that child sex abuse. So how important is it to get that out, to tell them, here's what happened to me as a kid? I think it's very important to tell pretty much everybody in your life. I would even say your children as they get to the appropriate age where you can have those conversations. I think it's important in many ways. With friends and relationships, I would say it's important because they get to know you better. With me, like a lot of my friends and my boyfriend, who knows, I have very close relationships with them because they understand me better. They understand why I might have a certain reaction to things where other people might look at it as, oh my gosh, where did that come from? Why is she acting crazy or whatever? So them knowing that and understanding that and being able to provide support for me when they start to kind of see me get in a mood or start to spiral a little bit, they're super helpful because they know. And just, again, making people aware that, you know, this stuff happens and you can't tell just by looking at somebody that something bad is happening to them. I know I mentioned talking to your kids about it. I have plans as my son gets older and can understand a little bit more and is age appropriate to let him know, at least not in detail, but at least let him know what had happened. Because I think it it allows him to maybe be more understanding of people and understand that you don't you wouldn't look at mommy and know that this happened to her. So how do you know that the person sitting next to you in class it's not happening to? So hopefully it just brings a little bit more compassion and allows him to understand, hey, this is wrong. So if somebody approaches him and tries to touch him or tries to do something similar to him, hopefully it, you know, reiterates in his mind, this is wrong. This is not normal. This should not be happening to me. In high school, there's certain required reading. Schools should somehow bring into the classroom child sex abuse and, and present it in maybe a book format. I don't know. Something so that children can understand, at least in high school, what can happen or what does happen to some some kids. I'm so glad you said that because that is one of my main goals this coming year in our outreach with this book is to try to facilitate some of those conversations. Unfortunately, a hurdle that I have run into a couple times already is like we talked about, this is difficult subject matter. Some schools are hesitant or downright unwilling to broach these conversations, it gets in tricky territory because in most schools, if not all schools, the professionals working with minors are mandated reporters. So what kinds of conversations are we opening up? I'm hopeful that more and more schools and organizations will be ready and willing to have these conversations and have us be a part of it. But it can be difficult to initially get them to open that door. And it also brings me back to something Jessica was talking about with talking with her own son someday about this and just the willingness to engage in these conversations with children and with teenagers. Because yes, it can be awkward. Teenagers, as Jessica endured herself during the court process, teenagers don't want to talk about their bodies or about sex. But too many of them are experiencing these things that they don't even understand yet. So being willing to have those conversations with that age group in particular, I think is really important. So they know how to set boundaries, they know what questions to ask, and they know that they can confide in people. Valerie, where can people find the book, The Man Behind the Curtain? So the book is available on Amazon and on Barnes & Noble's website. It's also available in some local bookstores and libraries, depending on where you live. And you can find links to all of that on my website, ValerieDomino.com. Valerie, your, your last name is not the easiest to spell if you just hear Domino. 
So some people may spell it with an E. How, how do you spell your website? What is the whole website? Sure. So it's Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, Domino, D as in dog, I, M as in Mary, I, N as in Nancy, O, dot com. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.